You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah. Don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Yeah. Hello, Bengals fans. I am Matt Minnick. Welcome to Chalk Talk. Today, I am joined by somebody that's well-known in, in Bengals circles. He is our resident cap expert, Andre Parada. Andre, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again, Matt. Pleasure to join you. How yeah, you, you know, I mean, in, in, if for people who haven't caught it, you should definitely check out uh, Andre joined John Sheeran and Anthony Casenza uh, last week. Uh, so we'll, we'll try and cover some different material here, but definitely go back and check that one out as well. So we are on the fringe. Uh, we are nearing free agency. Uh, I actually just read a very interesting t- uh, tweet about a an NFL coach saying that next week was going to be a bloodbath, I think was his exact word, that um, with the cap situation uh, due to COVID, that it's going to be a very interesting year. And a lot of people are going to, to be getting cut prior to free agency to free up room. So we'll see what happens uh uh and you know the, the free agents we're talking about might not even be like the big guys that you know we end up signing at the end of the day so one big name we have been talking about though and, and you specifically we've talked about this guy quite a bit is joe thuny uh from new england the patriots are not going to use the franchise on him again they can't do it they their cap situation you know would allow for it, I believe, mm-hmm. but with what you end up making the second time around, it really doesn't make any any kind of sense for them. I was actually I was listening to Boston uh, sports radio the other day, <laughs> like, uh, and they were just talking about that very topic. So, look, Thune's a big name. Uh, Bengals fans would love. There's some big offensive tackles out there, uh, and they've got to think about bringing their own guys back too. William Jackson uh, and Carl Lawson entering free agency so that's a big those are some big names and some big money right there uh, what what can the Bengals really afford to do How yeah much? <laughs> yeah so that you you hit the list uh you you hit the big players there they have of course two big guys internally that are scheduled to be free agents and jackson and, and lawson one of those may end up getting the, the franchise tag probably the non-exclusive if I had to bet at this point, uh, I'd probably say it's Carl Lawson. And, and we don't know the exact figures yet, but they'll come out soon, what the uh, values will be. Um, but it's based by position. And since DNs get paid a little bit more than corners, the, the, the DN tag is going to be a little higher. But I think that's a cost the, the Bengals are willing to take just to avoid the risk of, of losing Carl, potentially, at an already weakened spot. As you know, Matt, their pass rush has been, has been non-existent, mm-hmm. um, especially last year. 
Um, and I think Luana Rumo on Bengals.com had a couple comments today from an article today saying they're looking uh, to shore up the pass rush. And he did mention actually edge rushers and then, of course, interior pressure, which was good to see Lou mention. And we can talk about some interior linemen who are uh, going to be on the market uh, that could provide some interior pass rush to collapse the pocket, if you will. Um, but to your question about what they can afford, I there is a way for them to structure these contracts with the amount of space that they have available. Of course, we don't know what the official cap will be, just like we don't know what the tag amounts are going to be. We don't really know the final numbers quite yet. We know the cap can't go below 180, uh, but let's assume it, it stays right at that floor. I, I've been under the working under the assumption that it's going to creep up to 185 rather optimistically, but who knows if it gets that high. As you mentioned, COVID, it's really COVID, obviously, that took took all essentially all the local revenues that these teams generate and, and made it to zero for almost all of them. There were some teams based on the cities and states they were in that allowed some attendance, but really, you know, it was a small percentage of what a normal season would be. So they're sitting in a good spot, relatively speaking, in terms of current cap space. They're at about 37 million once you account for the almost 11 million they rolled over last year. So at that point, if they just stay there, they're at, they're currently in line to be seventh most in cap space. And that's a lot to work with in terms of re-signing those guys internally and then going out on the market for a Tooney type of player or even some more mid-tier guys in the Von Bell mold last year, you know, a, a more of a modest deal um, where, where you get a lot of value in that regard. But if they end up staying put without making cuts, you know, and being seventh in cap space, that gives them a lot of uh, flexibility. But I think... To your earlier point, we are going to start seeing a lot more cuts. We started seeing some today. There were some report. I think Gabe Jackson, the right guard for the Raiders, mm-hmm. has been cut. There's a report that they made, they're looking to trade their right tackle, Trent Brown, and if they can't find a trade partner, they'll likely cut him too. So the market's going to be flooded. It's going to it's starting to be flooded, and it's going to be even more so. Um, and on the Bengals' end, they're likely to make some, we call them cap cuts, but they don't need to make them because they have plenty of room, but... Just the value is not there to keep some of these guys on the books. You know the names. Bobby Hart, which will save just under $5.9 million. B.J. Finney will save $3.25 million with no dead money. And then, of course, Geno Atkins. And we've talked to, about the Geno situation uh, pretty at length. And the question will be whether they release him post-June 1 or, or, designate, or release him prior to June 1 or designate him or outright release him post-June 1 which adds a little bit more savings to it. But if you cut those three guys, even if you don't cut Gino with the post-June 1 designation, that adds about $19 million in addition, uh, in additional cap space. So if you add that 19 to 37 obviously now you're at almost $60 million, you're at $56 million, give or take. Um, and that would bolt them in the top five of cap room. So they have a lot of flexibility uh, to enter into long-term extensions, with both their internal free agents and to go out on the market and sign some sizable uh, upgrades, hopefully on the offensive line and positions that they they really need to address. Um, I really think at this point, there in, in normal years you tend to see some guys who are pending free agents re-sign with the team. The team really doesn't want to risk exposing the player to the market, so they'll really give in to the player's demands. But because of the COVID uncertainty, I really think we're going to start to see a lot of players just being allowed to test the market. Because I think there's going to be a big gulf in terms of how a player values themselves and how the club values the player Uh, for any team. But specifically, for example, I'm thinking of the William Jackson situation, right? There have been reports with, you know, is Anna Rumo really that high on Jackson? They went out and signed Trey Waynes last year. Although I think when they made the Wayne signing, they weren't shutting the door on William Jackson at all. 
I just think at this point, the writing on the wall is clear to me that the player, William Jackson, and the club, the Bengals, just are, don't see eye to eye on their value. So I think at this point, they may be willing to say, hey, William, go out and test the market, see what your value is. And, you know, potentially we can we can match that that offer, not in a true sense where, you know, you you give somebody the non-exclusive tag and, and they can go out and field offers. But just, you know, here's our last best offer before the market, uh, before the legal tampering period opens up. And maybe they, you know, you run a risk, of course, the player can leave. But I think the Bengals, like all clubs, especially this year, just don't want to run the risk of overpaying a player, especially because, yeah. like you said, they're going to be there's going to be a plethora of guys that become available within the next two weeks leading up to free agency. It's going to be a buyer's market. We can talk about some of the potential replacements that if Jackson does leave, Ron Darby, uh, Wuzike down in Dallas. Some These are lesser players than Jackson, of course, but for the, the contract that those guys will likely sign, the Bengals may see that as carrying higher value. So we'll see. But to answer your question, they have a lot of cap space currently. They can make They can avail themselves to more cap space by making those three cuts and potentially others. Uh, but they have all the cap room and, and really even the cash ability uh, to to sign these guys, to re-sign Jackson, to re-sign Lawson, and to go out on the market and sign at least a couple external free agents of, of a decent caliber as well. Yeah. It's interesting to say that too, because I, not only could I see them thinking in terms of how they value players, but maybe wanting to see how other play, how other teams are, are are treating it, you know, like yep. I mean, another year, like you, you could predict what William Jackson was going to get in the market, and you'd be like, it, but now maybe it's, uh, you know, I don't want to overpay him because I don't know if anybody else is going to pay him that much sort of situation. So that'd be interesting. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bouye is another guy that that yep. uh, was you know was was cut as well. Uh, he has some good experience, a little bit older guy. Um, could be at least a, a stopgap to allow them to not have to address the position in a major way this year. Um, I think Xavier Rhodes is an interesting one because they've got the rest of the Vikings secondary. Uh, That's right. That's right. So, yeah, it be, be interesting to see what they do there. And, I mean, and I guess you have the balance, too, that they brought in Waynes to, to upgrade. You know, so even if you're taking a step back with Jackson now having Waynes and whoever in there, you know, are you better than you were two years ago? Um, so, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see because those are high value positions. And, you know, I think we really look at it too. And there, there wasn't a pass rush last year outside of Lawson. Um, there was definitely a problem opposite William Jackson in the secondary last year. Um, and we can talk about how, you want to surround Joe Burrow with tools and you want to protect Joe Burrow. But when we look at where the defense was last year, and we're talking about losing potentially, I mean, the second and third best player on the defense, you know, yeah. like how bad is that defense going to be uh, if they let these guys walk? So, I mean, it, like these things need to be addressed in some kind of serious way. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there are some interesting ones out there, you know, at, at defensive end, uh, you know, Ryan Kerrigan's a guy who's a little bit older, might be an, an interesting guy that he could do some nice things for them. Um, cheaper than a Lawson, cheaper than probably a Bud Dupree would be. Uh, 
you talk about a guy, Roy Robertson Harris, uh, kind of a, kind of a versatile guy, which I think he can play a little bit inside, a little bit outside. Would be a real good fit for the Bengals in that way. Yep. Um, you know, like that's another guy. That, that, that's a guy that actually could be more of a Von Bell sort of scenario. Like maybe you can get a deal on him and and get a steal on him too. Um, moving interior though, to me, defensive tackle is really interesting. Geno Atkins. I mean, we're we going to get some finality on the Geno Atkins thing here. We've got to before, like, they've got to cut him, restructure him, where he's got to retire and before free agency, right? Um, and then if you look at all the other, everything else they did there outside of Reader, uh, you know, Daniels, Covington, like, these guys are free agents. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the, like, we really need to have some movement in that area as well. I think that there are some good value picks there within the division. Uh, guys like Chris Wormley, like uh, Larry Ogunjobi, uh, you know, I think there's some quality picks there. But, yeah, definitely defensive line all around really seems like it uh, could be an area they attack. I totally agree. I think, obviously, offensive line we've mentioned. But to your point, you've highlighted the edge rushers have been lacking, even with Lawson. Sam Hubbard is good in his role, and I think he will get an ex- extension later this summer. But... Uh, you know, he's not the the prototypical edge. He's a good player. I like Sam Hubbard. He's a guy you want around on your team. I think some people actually undervalue Sam. I think, you know, for a good rotational, I mean, he he plays a lot of snaps, about 60, 70% of the snaps. And I think there's value there in what Sam brings. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cincinnati kid obviously loves the city. Uh, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how much value you put in there. But I like Sam Hubbard. Some people are, are more down on Sam than, than, than I think – warrants based on his play but you're right the the edge group needs to be upgraded and the whole line you meant you rattled off all the free agents in the interior margus hunt xavier williams uh Amani Bledsoe, <laughs> you know as exclusive rights free agent i mean of course like Rennell wren went down last year in training camp with a gruesome injury missed the whole season uh, josh tupo opted out so he should be back but his contract's not guaranteed so they'll look to upgrade the interior spot you mentioned two guys I've always been a fan of Roy Robinson Harris. I think he played at UTEP, undrafted kid in 2016, just has ungodly length in the interior. He's just got super long arms, incredible wingspan, got great height, great strength. And for his size, he plays with great le- leverage when you watch him on film. I mean, you can speak more eloquently than I can on that stuff, but he's a good player. I mean, he's, when he was given a chance, he was hurt, I think, the end of last year, so his value may even be more. He, he may be had on an even better deal. You mentioned Von Bell as a contract comparison. I think Roy Roberts and Harris could be had on an mu- even much cheaper deal than, than Von Bell. So I think the value could be there. And I think I'll be watching him because I, I've always been high on him. Whoever ends up getting him, if he can stay healthy, I think he'll provide a good, uh, you know, a nice skill set to a team that signs him. I'd love for it to be the Bengals. Chris Wormley's another guy. I followed him here. He came out of Michigan. I was high on him when he came out of college. Drafted by the uh, Ravens and then traded for by the Steelers. So he's got intra-division experience. AFC North battle-tested. He grades pretty highly on pro football focused. Now, he's a rotational player, but if you're looking to to replace a Xavier Williams or a Marcus Hunt, he's better than those guys. He's younger. He's stronger. He's got, you know, uh, he's got more tread on the tires. Or, you know, less tread on the tires. So, uh, less wear on the tires, however the saying goes. <laughs> but I, I agree. I think there needs to be... Uh, an effort to address the defensive line 
just as, as importantly, in order to fix the overall defense, just like it is to, fi- to fix the offensive line in order to protect Burrow. I think you're going to see a couple signings on the defensive line. You mentioned some of the edge guys, too. Um, Ryan Kerrigan, I think, would be an option. I think, obviously, you tend to try to steer clear of the older guys, even though the next guy I'm going to uh, uh, mention is also older. I, I'm a big fan of Justin Houston. I think Justin Houston, like a Kerrigan, can provide that veteran presence and can really be a mentor with for a Carl Lawson, can maybe show him some additional moves. Although there was that weird story last year that Lawson said, I, I don't know if it was Nick Eason, that said he wasn't being allowed to uh, or was being coached not to use all his moves. I'm not sure if you read that, but it was just kind of a peculiar comment by Carl. I didn't know what to make I, of it. Yeah, I don't know. I read the quote, and I I, I don't know. I sometimes Some of that stuff I wonder about the context of it and how people yeah. take the context. Yeah. Because um, – you know, you're going to tell your edge rushers. Get to the quarterback. And you, well, you're also going to tell them, though, like, when you're facing athletic quarterbacks, you, like, you've got to be a contained rusher. Yep. You know, and if you don't have another guy out there, you've got to do that. So um, so I wonder if that's the thing where they were, like, they were like, hey, you can't use your inside moves when we don't have anybody outside of you because because Lamar right. Jackson's going to score yeah. a 50-yard touchdown if you do. Yeah. So... I, I don't know. So, like, that's one of those things. Every once in a while, you hear something like that, and you're like, all right, well, what was the real conversation with the guy? Right. right. Um, and, which, which, by the way, it's still a problem. If Carl Lawson's saying that to people, it's still a problem that Lou Anarumo or Nick Eason didn't communicate the why to him well enough for exactly. him to understand it. Um, so, because you see that a lot in the NFL, uh, uh, there's a big, a big change in the NFL. Uh, along with all the other changes uh, offensively in the last few years, has been that you have to be more disciplined in your p- pass rush. Yeah. Um, Chan- Chandler Jones was a guy. Like, that's I- – I honestly think that's a big part of the reason Chandler Jones uh, got traded out of New England. Yeah. Uh, because nobody's harder on that than, than Belichick. Belichick, and, yeah. And I remember, like, a couple of weeks before they tra- <laughs> traded him, like – See a game where he like went inside a couple of times, the quarterback got out, and I'm like, oh, Belichick's going to kill him on that. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Um. So I, I don't know. That makes I sense. about the context there. I agree. I, I think about the context. And so your point, too, whether I think the context is appropriate there. You're right. It may have been in reference to, to not losing contain, especially like playing against a quarterback like Lamar Jackson. Uh, but, you know, 
I do think obviously they they upgraded or upgrade they changed they swapped out their defensive line coach and with Marion Hobby coming in he's got you know he coached I think recruited DJ Reader from his days at Clemson and Marion Hobby was the defensive line coach you mentioned New England when the Jaguars were Miles Jack was wasn't down that whole issue the Jaguars were that Miles Jack fumble away from playing in the Super Bowl that year and they were carried that you remember Blake Bortles was their quarterback. And he had a good year that year, but he then reverted back to who Blake Bortles is, and it's a backup quarterback now. But um, that defensive line in Jacksonville, and it, it, you mentioned A.J. Boye in the second. He was on in the secondary and a young Jalen Ramsey, but it was really that Saxonville defensive line. And I, met, I, I referenced that because there were a couple free agents, um, edge rushers and interior players that have that connection to Marion Hobby. There's, of course, Unique Ngakwe, who's now – from coming from Baltimore, although he was traded originally to Minnesota, Unique Ngakwe was traded twice last year. And yeah, he had a down year with both his new clubs. But in the years prior, when he was with Jacksonville under Marion Hobby, he was a dominant edge rusher. If you remember, he had a pick six against the, the Bengals in the game against the 2019 game with Andy Dalton. He read the screen. I mean, the Bengals offensive line did a terrible job of selling that screen. But Ngakwe, you watch that play. He just reads the lineman, reads screen all the way and jumps up and pick sixes it right out of from Andy Dalton. So I've always been a fan of Unique Ngakwe, uh, even though I think some people are, are less high on him than I am. But um, another lower-tier guy is Dewani Smoot, who was a third-round pick out of Illinois. I think he's originally from Columbus, Ohio. And he was a you know kind of a back-end-of-the-roster guy from, from Jacksonville, although last year he had seven, seven sacks, I believe, and had a pretty good pass rush success rate. So he's a guy, too. As the market dies down, you kind of look for these connections that these guys may have with the coaches or specifically with their position coach. And I think that's a name to keep in mind. Especially, uh, another guy who's not really an interior rusher, uh, like uh, a Roy Robinson-Harris or a Larry Ogunjobi, but uh, an Avery Jones, a defensive tackle for Jacksonville. He's, a schedule, he's scheduled to be a free agent. He's been around a long time, but he's still not 30 yet. And he's got that Marion Hobby connection as well. So I think overall they will address the defensive line. They'll address it. I think they'll add at least one edge rusher and maybe a couple of interior guys. Uh, with the emphasis being that these guys can maybe rush the passer. I like Ogunjobi, the guy that you mentioned. I like Henry Anderson, who was just released by the Jets. He's he's that classic big body. He can play the five technique, can kick inside to three tech if they rush with a four-man front. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's, you know about that. I mean, he's he's got that positional versatility, that length that you want to see in those guys. Because um, they were trying to do that last year with Amani Bledsoe, but it's just the caliber of player that you get is much lower. So if you can add a Henry Anderson, a Roy Robertson-Harris, a Chris Warmley, Guys around those same size, but obviously from a higher skill level, I think you just improve the defensive line that way, and you don't really have to commit too much in terms of cap and cash to those guys. You can find some good value, I think, there on the D-line. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, Marion Hobby and those connections, um, it reminded me of another cap casualty that that happened recently, uh, Kyle Van Noy. Yeah. I mean, I, you know— I, I've already seen people talk about Kyle Van Noy, but I, I hadn't thought about that connection. So, um, and and he schematically would be a really good fit for the for the Bengals. Um, I mean, honestly, like you know, bringing in a D line coach from the Dolphins, you know, made a lot of sense uh, that they they do a lot of that three four stuff. And right, uh, so it, that could be a pretty good fit, and uh, you know, nice little piece there as well for the right price. So. We talked quite a bit about the D line, and it really, like to me, it is like the D line and the O line need to be fixed, and I think that should be the focus. I don't think we are talking enough about what needs to be done on the D line. 
Um, but let's talk about the O line. So Joe Joe Tooney's been the big name that has been talked about. There's obvious connections to the area. Uh, you got to love the pedigree. You know where he's coming from. You know bringing in uh, a guy from New England in that position. You know, and a guy that kind of knows what to expect from a quarterback as, as yeah. well. Um, now I wonder. Guard isn't the marquee position on the offensive line. And you talk about hardest potential cut. You know, they need to find another tackle, preferably a right tackle. Um, you know, there's there's guys, potentially Trent Brown, there's Trent Williams, there's uh, Daryl Williams, Taylor Morton. Um, you know, Russell Okong's a, a name I've heard thrown out there. What is the difference cash wise so we talk about value of a, of a tackle over a guard because of what they do uh you know how much more of an impact they have in the past game but you know what's the trade-off on that and how much better of a player can you get a guard for the same money as tackle and vice versa yeah it's a great question well just historically the way contracts are in the NFL, you can see where the clubs value the, the positions and the, the higher value positions, of course, are the tackles, left tackle, even more so than right tackle. Although mm-hmm. Willie Anderson's always been adamant about the fact that, and I agree with him, that right tackles are, have been historically underpaid because rushers are coming from not just the right side, they can come from the left end on the defensive side. So I think right tackles... And in the AFC North, you're getting J.J. Watt coming from the... Or, excuse me, not J.J. Watt. Yeah, he got, he got Thankfully, little, uh, he's not nowhere... Yeah. He's, uh, he's out west. But uh, yeah, yeah, you're getting you're getting TJ, you know, from the yeah. right side. So, uh, like people have been talking about, oh, Penny Sewell and put him at left tackle. Like, all right, well, you know, why don't you put him at right tackle and leave Jonah alone and let him yeah. take care of what? You know, I agree. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I agree with that. So it just shows you that to me, I I think NFL clubs are slowly starting to realize that, so they're starting to compensate their right tackles more in line with left tackles. But ultimately, the tackle position as a whole, right or left, is 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 worth more it's players get paid more at that position than they do at guard um you know the guard um range i think you know you have tackles obviously making in, in the 20 million dollar a year range uh, left tackle i don't know if like uh trent williams who's the best tack pure left tackle in the market will get that just because he's advanced in age a little bit although last year you know he may have benefited from taking 2019 off you know a lot of these guys you know he didn't play it down in 2019 because of his injury and you know, maybe he found a, a certain fountain of youth. And of course, what Whitworth, Whitworth, who's totally an anomaly, but he's just a freak of nature. He's almost going to be, I think he's going to be 40 this year. Uh, in December, he's still playing. And he suffered an injury last year, still came back in like record time. So I'm not saying Trent Williams is going to be on that same Whitworth career path where he can play another five years, but he may. And so I think he's going to be looking for big money. And I think that's going to be too much, too a little too rich for the Bengals. Like you said, too, they they have they have their left tackle. Jonah is... is proven to be a good left tackle with the ability to get even better and to be in the upper echelon. I think, I, th- I think even though he has some physical limitations, he's not an overpower. He's not a, he's not a Tyron Smith at left tackle. You know, he doesn't, he's not out of central casting, so to speak, but he's a, he's a more than solid player and, and with the potential to be uh, uh, you know, a pro bowl level tackle in my opinion. So I do think though, that they will try to, once they cut Bobby Hart, they, they got to find a starter. I don't think you can go into the draft banking on Panay Sewell being there at five. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even like coming back in the second round or trading down even and getting a Darisol and maybe putting him at right tackle or Rayshon Slater 
or even coming back at 38 and getting an Eichenberg or an Alex Leatherwood or a Sam Cosme, any one of those guys, I think the value will be there. And I think you can develop them as a starter. And I think those guys can develop into very high quality starters. I just don't want to roll the dice if I were the Bengals saying we're going to entrust our right tackle position to a rookie. Uh, even if it, if Penny still ends up being the pick at five, I think you can pencil him in there. I just my point is you can't go into the draft with a glaring hole at right tackle and just banking on Penny being there. It's just not prudent. It's not a prudent way to operate. So I think to cover their bases, they probably will make a play for a right tackle. You mentioned Taylor Moton. He's the best right tackle on the market. Although I really suspect that he will not be on the market when it comes when it comes down to it. I think the, yeah. the Panthers. The they've been, <laughs> yeah, they've been they've been clearing cap room. Although technically they didn't really need it to, to fit him under. They could have done a couple other uh, restructures, but they've cut some players uh, to get themselves in a position to at least to be able to to tag Moten. Um, but even if he's gone, you mentioned Trent Brown could be had. I think the, the Raiders will ultimately end up cutting him because they won't find a trade partner. I mean, draft picks, even those sixth and seventh round picks, teams do not want to deprive themselves of that cheap labor, especially during COVID time. Um, so I think he'll be on the market and be available. You know, you can determine, you can debate the the, the scheme fit in, in Pollock's, uh, you know, scheme if, if Brown would be the best option there. But I think a guy like, and obviously the name has been heard ad nauseum in the last two months, but Daryl Williams makes a lot of sense. I think Buffalo will make a play to bring him back, but they don't have to. They got guys uh, that could fill in. I think there's Cody Ford who's been playing guard. He could probably kick out to right tackle, the second round pick that they had a couple years ago. So B- B- Buffalo... Um, they'll probably make a good faith effort to bring him back. But if if, they, if if Williams gets a better offer on the open market, I'm sure the Bills will say, hey, thanks for your, your service and, and, and best of luck. So I think Williams, though, would represent a serious upgrade at right tackle. And I think he's the type of player that you can get in that Von Bell mold I, in the three-year, more of a modest range, right? He'll, he'll His salary will be substantially increased based on what he was making this past year, which was, I think, $3 million or a little less than three, which is just ridiculous when you think about it, because um, he was a good player. Um, so even if he gets up to like $10 million a year, maybe even a little more, maybe $12 million, I think that value is there on a, on a short, maybe two, three-year deal because he's a little older and because he does have a slight injury history. But when he plays, he's played well. And uh, I think that represents a serious upgrade, a serious reasonable upgrade for right tackle for the Bengals. Um I, I just think it's going to—I think we'll see it. I, I don't know if it, who the players are, are going to be ultimately, but you'll see the Bengals, at least just based on what they did last year and based on the fact that they know they have to protect Burrow. Yeah. You'll see them, in my opinion, bring in at least two starter-level ex- external free agents on the offensive line. My suspicion will be a guard and a tackle. I know we, we can talk about this till the cows come home, how they don't value guards. And the writers at The Athletic have, have said they won't pay a guard— um, and, and that's, you can debate that, but you know, I look, the Bengals have always said they want to model themselves, you know, we're the Bengals of course, but like the Steelers, right? Look, look, small market family run team. Look what the Steelers did with David DeCastro when he was up and the Bengals had the same thing with Kevin Zeitler. The Steelers chose to pay David DeCastro and he's still on the team and still mm-hmm. performing a high level. Now, actually, curiously, David DeCastro may end up being a cap casualty because, uh, Pittsburgh's in cap hell. And I would love to write that wrong from the 2012 draft. Even though I was happy with Zeitler, I wanted DeCastro back then. And so I think to, to complete the circle, if you will, uh, I would love to see the Steelers cut DeCastro because they have to, and the Bengals come in there and, and scoop him up. But I mentioned Zeitler too. Zeitler may also be a cap casualty in, in, in New York too with the Giants. Um, 
to your one question about how much more value is it, you know, signing an upper tier guy compared to signing like, let's just use like a Joe Tooney to a Matt Filer, right? Mm-hmm. Is Joe Tooney potentially at $15 million a year that much more valuable than Matt Filer, who may come in at around eight? I don't know. I think that's a, le- a legitimate question. He probably not. The answer, when you're looking at it just from an analytical perspective, Pro- probably the answer- not because he's a guard, right? I mean, right. There's, right. there's only, there's just like, like, like to me, we, we, we talk too much sometimes and we focus too much on, on, on war and on the pass game on position value, but there is a limit to what you can get out of a guard. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm, I agree with that. I, well, I, think, so, it, I think it's a much higher cap on the value that a tackle can present. A hundred percent. And so I think, I think the priority is going to be bringing in a right tackle and not just like, you know, any, any right. tackle. I think a, a starter level of a, a, a quality starter, maybe not the upper echelon. You mentioned Russell Okung. I know he's been traditionally a left tackle, but I think you could maybe play him in right villain away, but to the former Steeler, although Carl Lawson made him look silly on that Monday night game. Um, and you're going to have some other ones too that come available through do these cap cuts. So I think a right tackle will be will definitely be in the works, an external right tackle. But back to that point though about is Tooney at an X amount of value that much better than a filer at at a, at a reduced cap hit? And the answer I would say is no. But the counter I would make is I just they have the cap room, they have the need. Why the, the hell not? Right. I mean, it's not it's not throwing money to the wind, but it's literally just seen as I'm I'm doing whatever it takes to protect the ultimate investment, which is Joe Burrow. And I know you know, and people gloss I mean, over this. I mean, when, you know, the injury happened because uh, the left, left guard, guard got knocked over, bringing in a left, left guard. That's, now that, that left is, guard is. Statement. Yeah. <laughs> That left guard is actually training for uh, with Willie Anderson. It looks like based on some videos, you know, he's he's doing some uh, Mike Mike Jordan, um, and I, you know, Mike Jordan, I think can still find his place in the league. You know, oh, I absolutely. think maybe, but you know, I think he has potential still. But to go into the season again with a Mike Jordan as a starter, I think simply cannot happen. Mm-hmm. And so even I, I want a significant upgrade over that. I just don't want to. You know, Matt Filer could provide one, or Matt Filer can maybe you know kind of maybe lose a step or something because he is who he is at that point. And yes, he would be an upgrade. But is he a serious upgrade? Uh, even though it costs a little more, you you just know what you're getting with Tooney. And, and the last point I make about Filer, I just want to stay away from him because the Steelers are have are not going to sign any external free agents. They're they're in a cap squeeze, so they're going to sit back this offseason and watch their players leave, like Juju Smith-Schuster, Bud Dupree, uh, Alejandro Villanueva, Sutton, their corner, Mike Hill. They're going to collect probably four draft picks. Uh, in, in, comp, in compensatory picks. I don't know if Filer is going to be one of those, but I don't want to give even the Steelers another cheap draft pick. I, I despise that franchise so much. I don't want to sign Matt Father precisely for that reason because I don't want to give him – I don't want to give the Steelers another comp pick. I don't want to give them a free a free pick. So to answer your point, if we go in that mold though, not quite the Tooney or Brandon Scherf, although I think Scherf will get re-signed by Washington. They have enough for Yeah, that's why I didn't even mention yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, he'd be a great signing, but yeah. I think Scherf is end. Up, he's going to end up going there, or I think maybe the Jets come into play with Scherf. Even though I think the Jets will make a play for Tooney too, but I, I would go if we're going to the mid tier guard range. I would go for like a Gabe Jackson, even though he's more of a right guard, right, or a Larry Warford, who the, the Bengals expressed interest in last year, who then sat out. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean Scherf is a right guard too, and I mean that's. Yep. I think there's a value to that. Yep. Especially like. Sign a veteran right guard if you're going to draft Penne. That'd be that'd be nice. Be um, 
But I also think there's value to the fact that, like, Quentin Spain, free agent. I want him uh, back. Take him back. But, but he was a left guard. Yep. Uh, Xavier Suofilo, left guard. Michael Jordan, left. Like, all <laughs> these guys play left guard. All these guys play left tackle, too, by the way. Like, from Akeem to, to Jonah. Like, so. Fred Johnson. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I, I would love to get a guy that plays on the right. Um, and honestly, I think that, like, if you're if if you like like you said you get two really good ones you know so you've got a you've got you've got Gabe Jackson you've got uh you know you got Daryl Williams you've got Jonah Williams you've got Trey Hopkins coming back off injury and Xavier Suofilo is your starting left guard and he's the f- fifth best player on your line and by the way, Trey Hopkins, who two years ago was your best player in your line, is your fourth best player. Right, right. That's something. Like yeah, you got something now we're there. talking. And and, and then doable. you get a young Michael Jordan. Right. So and I, maybe I still... maybe yeah, like you go in there with Sufilo, but you're still working Jordan. You're trying to get it, get him in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, you still got you still got Billy in the in the building too. Billy might be a Billy might be starting to center at the beginning of the year. I think so. Um, uh, you know, there's some, some, some obvious guys in there. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we got Suofilo is an interesting one too. Like I'd public like opinion on Suofilo has been up and down so much. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ideally, I'd like to upgrade from him. I Like you said, if you, if you go into the season and he's your fifth star, he's your fifth best lineman, you could do worse than that. That's great. Yeah. You would actually save a little bit over $2.4 million if you cut him. I would be in favor of cutting him if you bring back like a Quentin Spain. I'd much yeah. rather have a Spain than a Suofilo at his natural left guard position, like you said. Or even maybe double dipping, right? Let's say you get – you can all do this, by the way. Even getting Lawson and, and uh, Jackson back, you can sign Daryl Williams to a modest deal. Maybe get a Gabe Jackson at right guard or DeCaster or Zeitler. It's going to be a buyer's market. And then on the left side, get a Quentin Spain or maybe get a Larry Warford. Warford's played on the right side, but he's also mm-hmm. played left. And I will say this about Daryl Williams. If you sign Daryl Williams, it's not it doesn't preclude you from drafting Penny Sewell. Daryl Williams has played guard in his career. Uh, he's played both left and right guard. I don't know if that's his ideal position, but if you sign yeah. him, it just opens up the draft. And it doesn't preclude you from drafting Sewell. And maybe you don't sign a guard and you just kick Daryl Williams into right guard. And now you have Penny Sewell. So there are many ways to attack it. And the, the lineup that you mentioned, listing out, even with Suofila, who, again, I'd ideally still like to upgrade from Xavier and not have him in the starting lineup. But if you do, and that's your fifth best lineman, you can certainly do worse. And more importantly, it's much better than the line you tried it out last year. And you yeah. saw even before that catastrophic injury, even with that line, actually, the worst line that they assembled was that was Spain's first game, was that Titans game, the first of November. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Spain was signed on to the practice squad and then called up for the practice squad, and yeah, they beat the Titans. And, and oh, he only started because Jordan was sick that morning, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was, that? That was Hakeem's first start. Yeah, it was left tackle, then it went Spain. Yep. Was, I don't know who was on that five line. Five for five new guys on that, yeah. on that line there, yeah. Uh, oh so, no no no! Spain didn't even start. It was um, the dude from Miami. Yeah, the uh, Shaq Calhoun. Shaq yeah, Calhoun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the, they 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 put they put Spain in like the second or third series, series. to kind of fix some of the problems right. they're having. But. but they won that game. The Titans were a playoff team. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. that's not to say you trot out that same line. You got to seriously. Oh yeah, up, yeah, yeah, But yeah. the point being, I like the lineup that you rattle off there. And and the point is, I I really think the, the people say, "Well, I'll see it when I I'll believe it when I see it." 
the Bengals aren't stupid. You look what Elizabeth Blackwood wrote. I, I think you're going to see a commitment to, to a, yeah. a, improving the offensive line. The question will be the caliber of players, but they're going to bring some external free agents, in my opinion, to line up as to pencil in as starters. There will be competition, but they know it needs to be addressed. Elizabeth Blackburn aside, you know, your offseason can't just be about New Jersey's. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Like you can't you can't just put out that campaign and then not do shit in free agency. You know? I think but, they will. Uh, they they can't sit on their hands. They know they got to address these areas, and I think they will. You, you know, um, I think you make a great point. I I really don't think you can feel great about getting Penny. I I think there's a pretty good chance they will, but you can't just go in and say, "Well, that's what we're doing." Yeah. Um, and, and and that's what happened. We've seen this happen with them, you know. Um, you know, really Price wasn't their first choice. They had to take a center because uh, yep. they put themselves in that in that situation. And, and, and nothing negative negative against Billy because I I honestly think he's probably gonna have a pretty good year this year. Uh, but um, yeah, so it's that sort of situation where it's like, all right, if if Benny's not there. Are you taking Rashawn? Are you taking Darisol? What are you going to do? Because there's got to be a plan. Um, so, yeah, you, you definitely want to get in a situation where you don't. So, with that in mind, the other position that has been widely talked about is wide receiver. Now, everybody's talking about Chase. Everybody's talking about Jamar Chase. You know, there, there's some Waddle fans out there. There might be a couple of Devontae Smith fans out there. I'm not sure. I mean, I love Devontae Smith, but I, I really don't hear people talking about him to the Bengals. I think I think Chase is a better fit. Um, and that has nothing to do with Joe. Well, it has something to do with Joe Burrow, but it has nothing to do with him playing with Joe Burrow. Um, but I, I think it's kind of interesting that we've talked about going out and getting a, a mid-tier Curtis Samuel, uh, Josh Reynolds type. But I... Nobody's really going out and saying, let's go get Chris Godwin or Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay. And it, like, it's interesting to me that we'll invest the fifth pick. We're like fans want to invest the, the fifth pick, but they won't invest a, you know, a good amount of money and getting one of these top, top guys. Um, I, I, I mean, even like a Sammy Watkins, uh, like, like that would be an interesting one, you know, and former, you know, former top pick, you obviously, uh, winning a lot of games with the Chiefs, uh, part of bringing on a long, young quarterback in Mahomes, you know. Um, yeah, what, what is what is your take on on this receiver group? I mean, you think there's any chance they they spend big on that that group, or or you think it's more of a, a Samuel Reynolds type of guy? I think they'll have that discussion. I think this is a deep receiver class in free agency and the names you mentioned are right there although a couple of those guys probably won't end up hit, hitting the market they'll probably be tagged Kenny Galladay up here in, in Detroit he'll uh he'll likely get the tag um and I, Alan I, was, I was kind of surprised I always like Galladay and I was a big fan of him coming out of the draft that was that was the John Ross year and I wanted Galladay yeah. I, was, I was like we don't even want the first round take this dude um but yeah, I'm, I'm being surprised surprised by the value that has been projected with him because I just like I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, all right, maybe I don't like him that much, but I'm sorry. No, go but ahead. he's a good player, and he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll, he may get tagged. If not, then he'll get on the market. He'll be probably the highest paid receiver on the market if if Allen Robinson is not on the market too. Robinson may get tagged. If he's not, then Robinson will probably get the most in terms of APY, like the highest APY, the highest guaranteed. Robinson. Is, I don't is know a how good, you take a, take a, 
a receiver when you have Mr. Bisky, but go on. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they, uh, I just think they just don't want to, you know, the Bears, that's really one of their, they have a couple other offensive weapons. You're right. They need to figure out the quarterback situation, but uh, we'll see where Robinson ends up. But yeah, Robinson and, and, and Galladay are, are, are the top tier guys. I, I think the reason is, I, I think they will think about every wide receiver on the market. It's it's a deep market. It's going to be even more deep with, uh, with some cuts that are going to come up in this next week. Um, but I think it's just, it's a value proposition, right? Would you rather get the, the, the fifth pick? Yes. That's a, that's a lot of, that's a heavy resource to expend on, on a receiver. Uh, but I think you'd rather do it that way and get like the value that AJ green provided from before he signed his first extension from like 2011 to 2014, like mm-hmm. young dominant AJ, even though like a Jamar chase, or even maybe I like the other guys too, Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. They're not the, in the AJ Green mold in terms of physical dominance, but they each have dominant traits and do- other areas of their game that they can dominate on. I love Jamar Chase, of course, his connection to Burrow, which some people seem to undercount that. And to me, if it were just some random receiver quarterback connection, I'd, I I wouldn't count it as much. But Joe Burrow literally had the most explosive and historic college season of any quarterback in college history. And the guy he did it with is available. And if you can marry that again, I think it makes the most sense. And I don't think it could be discounted. Some people like to discount that. And it's, and again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying just because of that. I think that's yeah. a, a nice icing on the cake. And that's some, that's some top shelf icing, if you will, on that cake, because they, they, sure, they know sure. each other. They can throw When Joe Burrow was on a zoom call talking about, Jamar Smith and the pos- or Jamar Chase and the possibility of of teaming up with him, he his face lit up. I mean, that's that that guy knows what he's doing. He, I don't think that Joe Burrow would have any issue developing a rapport with Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith or whoever it is. Right, Burrow, Burrow is going to develop a great rapport. But if you can just already kind of pick up where they left off on their off their historic season a couple years ago, I think if you if that opportunity presents itself, you take it. And to the point of, then you just hope that. Jamar Chase in those early years when he's on that rookie deal is giving you that surplus value that AJ Green gave the Bengals in the early part of the last decade, like elite receiver production, even though you got T Higgins, who I think can develop into an elite player, um, Tyler Boyd, who's one of the best, if not the best slot receivers in football, that trio right there on its face is, has the potential to be dominant with Joe Burrow. That's why you fix the offensive line. I really like that receiver pick there. I wouldn't be opposed to Sewell. If Penny Sewell's there, obviously, you know, I'd be more than happy. You'd take a generational type tackle. Uh, and there's some other tackles as well. But I would love Jamar Chase there at the fifth pick because, as you mentioned, you know, going into this past season, nobody thought A.J. Green. Pe- people maybe didn't expect A.J. Green to be what he once was. But I don't think anyone envisioned the down year that A.J. Green had. I don't think anybody saw that. We were anticipating, and that's with Higgins developing into the receiver he did and with the potential to develop even to, to newer heights, to great heights and with Boyd. So Joe, I think you were, or Joe Goodberry on Twitter, you know, tweeted out that I don't know how many targets AJ green had, but he had a lot of targets, right? That yeah, was a ridiculous number. Of and targets. so that's going to have to be made up somewhere. Like, they, like right? they were trying so hard to make it happen for exactly. him. And, and, so you, I mean, if it was any, like, if it was anybody but AJ Green, you wouldn't you wouldn't try that hard, you know. Right. So you're going to have to make those targets up. So you know, with the, whether it's a Jamar Chase or wherever. So I think they will look at all the options in free agency. Of course, it's a deep receiver class. They'll probably steer clear of the top end guys, even though that would be great if you if you sign like a um, 
uh, an Allen Robinson. I mean, fantastic. I mean, now you got Robinson, Boyd, and Higgins. That's great. Obviously, you'd be paying him a lot of money. And at that point, you're taking Chase or Smith or Waddle off the board at five. You're not taking a receiver at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think they would think about it. I just think with their issues on the offensive line, they think they'd rather spend that money in free agency at that position as opposed to a top-end receiver. But you mentioned the guys that they can go after, you know, um, a Curtis Samuel, a Josh Reynolds, some of these type of players who can be had if you're looking at type projecting their contracts. I think a player like John Brown, who signed with the uh, Bills for like three years, $27 million, so $9 million a year, or Jamison Crowder, who signed with the Jets a couple years ago, three years, $28.5, that's $9.5 million a year. Or even Robbie Anderson last year signing with with uh, Carolina from the Jets, two years, twenty million. So like, I think they would entertain signing. I, mean, I don't see Josh Reynolds at that high, but maybe a Curtis Samuel can get up in the eight, nine, ten million dollar a year range on like a short two to three year deal. That I think you could entertain that for sure. And I think if you sign a Samuel or a Josh Reynolds, that does not preclude them from taking a receiver at five. Now you'd be committing still a lot of resources in, in, at the receiver position, but the reality is you can't commit it to a quarterback yet. I mean, you're locked into Burrow. You can't even touch his contract for another two years. You can't renegotiate until his last regular season game of year three. So you're locked into Jero Burrow's cheap rookie deal for 2021 and 2022, so, which is the end of his third year. So you got to spend that money somewhere. And I think you're going to spend it ideally to surround Burrow, not surrounded, but to protect him up front, but then to add weapons too, to, to really pick up where we thought AJ Green was because before last year, there was talk about AJ was under the tag right last year. It was he had until the fifteenth of July to come up with an extension. There was talk about are they going to extend him because nobody saw this precipitous fall that AJ was going to have, and so you need that production somewhere. And so mm-hmm. I think they will address. I think they will try to address it in free agency. Uh, but if not, I think they 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 can address other areas that leaves them nice and uh, that leaves a nice possibility to address it in the draft with a high pick. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of look at it in terms of, you know, to kind of, kind of simplifying it, like, well, you can offer so many high-level contracts, mm-hmm. you know, and and I see the fifth pick is just another high-level contract. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do kind of look at it in terms of, you know, if you can cross off one of the big things you need to cross off with that pick, you know, you're, you're sitting pretty. Whereas, you know, your second pick at the, at the top, you know, a pick in the – uh, in the thirties there, um, that's a little bit more comparable to what you're getting out of, uh, out of a Curtis Samuel sort of situation, yeah. you know? Uh, so, I mean, I think that, that that's the exchange you look at when you're Allen Robinson to Curtis Samuel to me is a similar sort of vein to Jamar Chase to, uh, crap. What's the kid from Oklahoma's name? Um, Receiver. You know, to, to take a take a, a step back and, and get a receiver in the second round, when you don't know if a T is going to fall to you in that spot like a, necessarily. A Rashad, uh, a Rashad Bateman, although yeah, yeah, you know yeah, he, he ran a pretty fast forty time, one. but yeah, <laughs> you know we'll we'll see. Although it's a, it, it wasn't at the comment, obviously, so I'm not sure how much stock he put in that, like how valid those are, because at a pro day, uh, forty time, they's always they they always seem to shave oh, yeah. like a tenth of a second or so off those. I don't uh, know why the NFL can't figure out to like send out their own guy to do the time, yeah, but whatever. <laughs> Another receiver, if you that, want, like that's, a why, low- that's why everybody does the handheld because it's like, well, my thumb might not be. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's it's um uh, uh what's the phrase I'm, I'm trying to think of? It's uh reliability versus validity. 
Yeah. You know, you and, and that's a, a, the former psychology professor in me. You know, look, my my 40 time might not be a valid 40 time, you know, on my stopwatch. But if I know my, my you know, I, I know my trigger <laughs> speed and my, I have a consistent trigger speed, you know, it's going to be it's going to be the same every time you send me somewhere. It'll be comparable numbers. So, there you go. Uh, I, they I make fun of the old timers that do that, but that's why you do it. You know? I get it. One receiver too. You mentioned like Ogunjobi and the other guys on the D line uh, from from the intra division. I've always liked Rashard Higgins, the receiver from Cleveland. I don't know if there's any relation Definitely. to T. Probably not, but um, you know he could be a guy that that they you know. If um, if they want to address it at least to cover all their bases, so to speak, with a mid tier type guy who has the potential to to, to even grow into his role, um, just to cover all their bases before the draft, so they don't need a position directly at five. You know, I think a guy like Rashard Higgins could be a viable option, and of course, there are going to be other guys that come available too in these next couple of weeks due to cap cuts as well. So uh, we'll see. Well, how about Marvin Jones, former Bengal too, is a potential option. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, there's a lot of targets to replace there, and it doesn't necessarily have to be one guy. Right. Um, and yep. and that's we we're not going to go down this rabbit hole right now because we're talking free agency, not the draft. But <laughs> that could be an argument for Kyle Pitts. Anyway, I, uh, I, sign me up. I'm a fan of Kyle Pitts. Some people think uh, five is too rich, but if you could utilize his the, his skill set, you got a dominant pass catcher in Kyle Pitts. A dominant yeah, pass. He's catcher. he's really good. He's he's very good, and I. He's a better blocker than we're giving him credit for, I think, too. So uh, he could he could be something really good. Now, I, I just want to talk about this real quick. So uh, Joe makes an extension this offseason. Not a popular move to many because it's no disrespect to Joe Mixon, his play, or or anything about him. But it's, it's a running back, and some people just will say no <laughs> to saying running backs anything. Um, so we talk about Todd Gurley, we talk about David Johnson, and these are guys who got paid and promptly fell off of a cliff. Uh, different scenarios, you know, Gurley was a guy with a long injury history. Uh, David Johnson was a guy with a long, uh, workhorse history dating back to his college years when he was, a he played at Northern Iowa and he was an I mean, they ran him into the ground. Yep. Um, you know, you mentioned the advantage of uh, taking a year off for Trent Williams. I kind of feel like Mixon's issues in college may benefit him to long term, that he, he might have a better body than some of these other guys uh, because he, he had some suspensions. Um you know, didn't play that, that that full amount of time, so you know it stands to be seen what's going to happen with Mixon long term. Even though obviously this year was uh, was not great, uh, is the Mixon deal as we talk about needing to clear space? Is the Mixon deal something that's going to screw them now or in the future, money wise? Uh this year, no. I mean, th- this year, no. He's he's scheduled to, to account, I think, a little over eight million. I think it's eight point one three five million on the against the cap this year. So this year, no. They, they that's a fine number. I mean, that's a high that's a high number for a running back. Don't get me wrong. Uh, that's actually higher than some teams are committing to the entire running back position <laughs> currently. So 
just to put that in perspective. But to answer your question, does that prohibit them from making the necessary moves, some of which we've talked about earlier? Absolutely not. They can still have them on the books this year and still make the moves needed to address the glaring holes along the offensive line and the defensive line and maybe the secondary, of course, too, if, if William Jackson leaves. So, no, it's not it's not prohibited. To me, the issue has always been value, right? Uh, and you mentioned it. It's I, I think the running game gets a little discredited a, a little more than it needs to be. I think, obviously, the just like, look at Kyle Shanahan, what he does for San Francisco. His offense is predicated on the running game. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, too. And, you know, you win. There's a passing league. You need a quarterback to win. Nobody's going to dispute that. But to me, I, I don't I'm not as easy. I don't it's easily dismiss the running game as much as others. But yeah. that said, just because the running game matters more than I think people acknowledge, especially in the current NFL, I do think running backs, I won't say they won't matter, but I think running back, I'm generally against the proposition of paying running backs more than you need to. I would mm-hmm. ideally, if I were running a club, I would ideally just keep running backs on rookie deals. And you mentioned David Johnson being run into the ground in college. I would just run running backs on cheap rookie deals and just recycle it that way. You look at Sam, or you look at Jacksonville. James Robinson, their running back, was in line to be rookie of the year. He had a fantastic season. He was an undrafted free agent. Philip Lindsay, a couple years ago, and for a couple years thereafter, when he came in the league with Denver, he was he was a good player as an undrafted free agent. So I think there's value. Just you know, we mentioned what's the real difference between the value like a Joe Tooney is giving you at guard as opposed to like a lower level Matt Filer. Is there really mm-hmm. that much of difference? Probably not. But then obviously that same situation can apply to any position, of course, and then specifically to running back. Now, again, that's not to discredit Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon's a fine football player. He has a unique skill set. I wish he'd be a little bit better at, at blitz pickup on third down so the team could trust him more to keep him in, to val- to, you know, to mm-hmm. especially to to justify the amount of cap dollars you're 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 giving him or you're attributing to him. So, but he's, you know, he's a fine player. He he's a good receiver out of the backfield, probably better than he's given credit for. And he's a fine runner. He's got great vision. He runs with power. He's, he's a patient runner when he needs a hole to develop. So I like Joe Mixon. I want to make that clear. I, I like him. The issue becomes, though, after this year, will it be prohibitive? His cap number I mentioned this year is eight, a little over eight. And then it goes up to, it increases by $3 million next year. In 2022, it goes up to 11.45. Now, the cap ideally is going to go up. So as a percentage of the cap, that actually may end up being less than a percentage mm-hmm. of the cap this year even though the number, the the absolute value of the number is higher. And then the next two years he's under contract, which is 2023 and 2024, his cap it goes to just under $13 million in 2023. It's 12.85. And just over $13 million in 2024. It's 13.13. Will Joe Mixon be around by that time? Who knows, right? The Bengals have structured the contract that he can get out of it by that point without much dead money coming back. But the question becomes, you ask it, will it become prohibitive? The, the easy answer, of course, is it actually won't because the way the Bengals manage the cap, they do a good job never putting themselves in a position to you know have to cut guys to, to fit under the cap. So it's not going to be prohibitive. But when you start looking at a couple years down the road, can you justify paying a running back $12.85 million in 2023, even though the cap's going to go up? So as a percentage of the cap, it may be lower. Yeah. But that's just a lot of – and that's just going to be for one guy. You're going to have other guys filling out the running back room, ideally rookies on cheap deals. But that's just for one guy. I don't know. And then, of course, that's two years down the line. So more wear on Joe on Joe Mixon's tires, right? So he's going to – you know, he, ideally he's – you know, you come into the league and you have X amount of carries, right? It's always a finite number. 
Uh, and it, it what it ends up is. And every carry that you have is one less carry that you're going to have the rest of your career. So that that end is eventually going to come. And it comes a lot quicker for running backs than it does for other positions. You mentioned the other guys. So do I think Joe Mixon will see the um, the entirety of his deal? If I had to bet money, I'll probably say no, just because of the way the running back position is and how injury riddled those guys tend to be. But the Bengals typically, although they've changed recently, they do try to honor the the life of their contracts. Um, but if for me, I, I would not have given Mixon this deal simply because I think running backs are fungible and you can get value elsewhere. And when you couple that with how much they're paying Geo this year, 4.1, you know, the Bengals are in line to spend the third most in total cap dollars at the running back position. Only the Cowboys and Panthers are more. I mean, the Cowboys with Zeke and the Panthers, of course, with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, but the Bengals are right there at third. The Browns are right below them at, at 13 million, but the Bengals are in line to spend $14.5 million this year in cap dollars at the running back position. That's a high number. Uh, third most in the league. So is, it was Joe Mixon's deal, was it a killer deal in terms of ruining their cap this year that will prevent them from signing guys in much-needed areas? Absolutely not. They can still fit all the guys they want to sign. Um, but if I had to bet, I'd, I'd bet that Mixon doesn't see the, the life of the deal. I hope he does for his sake. I hope he does, and he's contributing uh, handsomely to the team with the skills that he does have. But it's just going to be increasingly... Uh, you know, it's going to be increasingly less likely that he's going to see the deal as, as, as the years move on. Because, you know, let's say Geo is not extended beyond this year. You know, this will be maybe the last year of, of Geo. And so they're going to start. They have Travion Williams under contract, but they may draft a guy or find an undrafted free agent. And then if Mixon misses a game or two, you know, and that younger guy comes in on a cheaper deal, just look what Rudy did with Corey Dillon, right? Corey Dillon signed up. You know, that's a long time ago. But mm-hmm. the point is, these that's how the running back position changes, right? A running back, you get nicked up, you you're, you miss a game or two, and then the backup running back who's on a cheap rookie deal comes in and provides maybe even better production because yeah. he's younger. And then you just get to, okay, now we got to cut the guy because the value's not there anymore. So what yeah. I have signed this deal, no. Is the deal prohibitive? Uh, does it destroy their cap? Absolutely not. Does it put them in a bad position this year or even next year? No. But it's just properly allocating cap dollars, uh, to the running back position, you know, I, I try to, I would try to diminish that as much as possible, even though I like Joe Mixon as a player. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting too because you mentioned Rudy Johnson, Corey Dillon, right around that time, a little, little before that, but right around that time was, um, well, let me take a step back. The Broncos, yeah, for years, it in like the nineties, it was I like, yep, man. John Elway would win a Super Bowl if he had a running back. Did it? Yeah, Terrell they Davis. Dude, they had this dude, Glenn Milburn, who was like like the guy for them for like the night, and he just wasn't that good. And it was like that was what it was in the nineties, though. Like he had to be able to run the ball. There was Emma Smith going to the Super Bowl. He like it, like yeah. But I know Alex Gibbs. If you don't know who Alex Gibbs is, anybody listening, Alex Gibbs oh. is the the godfather of of zone. Yeah, off his lunch. And, yep. And Red's- you can find his videos on on YouTube, and he curses like a sailor and just <laughs> preaches. Uh, but he's uh, he's incredible, and get, Gibbs was the old line coach with the Broncos, and then Terrell Davis burst on the scene. I don't even remember where he was drafted, but sixth like, round, sixth round out of Georgia. Yeah, and he and he was a um, like there's a there's a video of him like 
making a tackle on kickoff Special in preseason teams. that year. Yeah, like like year. Like yeah, like that's where he was going to make the team. Ran and then Terrell Davis is a Hall of Famer. Um, he his career did not last very long. Uh, and I forget if it was a Lindus Gary or Mike Anderson that came in first. Both. But but yeah, uh, yeah, like 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 oh, they just they just kept pumping guys in. They did, they went out and got Clinton Portis, but they didn't need to. Um, you know, so it, it is interesting to think about it that way. Like like. That was kind of like the a big turning point in the NFL. I think you really saw it with the Broncos, and that's where everybody else kind of got on board. Like, oh, oh, if we get really good at this spot, we don't have to be so good at that spot. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it, it's a different league. You know, it's not the league I grew up with. It's not the right. league I grew up watching. It's kind of you know definitely changed at the beginning of the century with uh, uh, with those guys. And uh, by the way, Frank Pollock. Uh, Spent a little time around Alex Gibbs uh, when yep. when Gibbs was an advisor down in Houston. Um, you mentioned the the Broncos. I'm glad you did. Obviously, different time. The late '90s football, the NFL is much different than 2021 yes. football. But look at like Mike Shanahan with what he runs in in San Francisco. Right, he predicates his he runs his offense based on the running his running attack. And look at the running backs that they employ. Right, Raheem Mostert, who had a great Super Bowl against the Chiefs. These guys aren't the high-paid running backs. They aren't the ten million dollar a year running backs. And Shanahan knows the importance of a run game. Of course, I'm not saying the run game is more important than the passing game. I'm always going to yeah. favor the pass. Yeah. But look no, at Shanahan. Yeah, they had a guy who had an even more generic name than James Robinson. Like I'm trying to remember, and he like torched the Bengals last year. It was just like Mike Mike Smith or something. You're like, yeah. who is yeah, this guy? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Robinson down in Jacksonville, but the 49ers too. Like, I forget that guy's name, but most they they it's by design there, right? It's their system and their scheme yeah. uh, that sets up their success. It's not necessarily the player. It's not like we got to dump this much money into this one guy because the guy makes the system work. It's the other way around. It's the system makes it's the system that is successful and you can kind of plug and play at that. And that's why I really think running backs are, are somewhat fungible and I really would avoid committing too many cap resources to them, but you know, you can't change what what's been done. And and I like having Mixon on the team and I think he is valuable. Um, you know, the question is, is he providing that much value once you get into next year when he's, when he's, his cap is over $11 million. And yeah. And, and what you're talking about and where, where those numbers are going where the cap will probably bounce back in the next couple of years here. I, I don't think it's sinking the ship. You know what I mean? Like, no, a, for it, sure. like, it's not. like you talk about, it's... Oh, you screwed your franchise. You know, they, 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 they talked about that with Gurley and uh, Johnson. I don't see this in that way at all. Not, a, not at all. They have you... ways to get out of it too, because they don't guarantee future base salaries. So they would, there's yeah. always going to be dead money because they have bonus prorated out. Uh, so, you know, but that dead money is going to be less than the, you know, the savings than, than they would realize in cutting the guy. So it would make sense at the last couple of years to cut him if they want to. So, yeah, it, it's not a, a ship sinker at all, Yeah. Uh, even though you can question the value. It's just not it's not prohibitive of anything. Well, Andre, uh, appreciate you joining us today. You know, again, free agency comments could be interesting to see. Been a lot of talk, been a lot of hype. You know, will they will they keep rolling like they did last year? Will they uh, show the new stripes in more ways than one? What if we just got a surprise and all of a sudden, and then and then they like they just went out and they like they just signed Joe Tooney and 
have him holding the brand new jersey, and and you're like, whoa, we're like, <laughs> they, like they don't even save it for the draft. They're like, ah, oh, here's here's Joe Thune in in the uh, in the all orange. Like, <laughs> well, I hope they're not these, these Zoom calls for these guys, right? Joe Burrow was robbed. I mean, it was nice to see him with his family on mm. draft night. Um, but I, I just hope that there's actual, like, real, you know, we get the virus under control and there's a real press conference. These guys can meet the media and do real interviews. Because I always think you lose a little bit when it's like, here's your new team and it's via Zoom and you're meeting these reporters. And whether you're holding up the new jersey, like you mentioned, that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how where where we are in a couple of weeks. Definitely. Definitely. So yeah. Um all right. Well, uh Andre, where can people follow you for for those who are uh listeners who who don't yet follow you on Twitter? Yeah, it's just uh my Twitter handle is Andre Parada. That's two R's and two T. So Andre P E R R O T T A thirteen. And uh, Matt, you're a great follow on Twitter. I love your work, love your podcast, and uh, really excited to see what the Bengals do here in, in the next couple of weeks as, as we lead into free agency. Yeah, appreciate it. Definitely, uh, uh, definitely follow Andre um, as we get into free agency. As soon as information becomes uh, becomes public, uh, he'll he'll be talking about it and putting it out there and kind of putting some things into perspective on uh, what it means and how much of a hit it is and you know how it's structured and all that type of stuff. So definitely a great guy to to explain that stuff um, and, and kind of keep you keep you up to date on, on what these things mean, where they're going with stuff. So uh, thank you for for joining us. You know, keep coming back. We've got lots of great stuff coming up. Uh, draft coverage over the next few weeks here, and obviously talking about some of the free agency signings as those come up. Good day. Yeah, we coming forward with sours. You hear the crowd coming forward with sours. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.